welcome back to Bitching About Medieval Literature Live. Let's pull another story out of the hat. It is a literal hat. It is a top hat sitting on the table in front of me in a park. We are very fancy. We All are. right, story number 36. This one, or oh, this should be interesting, is from uh, Jacques de Vitry's Simones Feriales et Comunes, which is a 12th century French collection of stories that can be used in sermons to illustrate proper behaviour. So they all have morals to them. We'll see if we agree with those morals. Well, they, like, A support at the end, they explain, and they're like, D and, and the moral is always like, don't be a cunt. <laughs> well, maybe oh, do be a cunt. This one's nice and short. It's called Stinking Money. <laughs> this is sounding a bit like the previous one. <laughs> I promise you it's not. There's no cat crap in this story. Yeah, it's not a retelling of the cat in the hat. <laughs> That was really well done, but no. No, this one has a monkey. Um, though heretics promise salvation without the necessity of making restitution to usurers and others who amass ill-gotten gains and entrap their fellow men, it pleased God to indicate the opposite to a man from Acre who was voyaging to Santiago de Compostela. This is one of the really big pilgrimage sites. Though that man had come by much of his money honestly, by inheritance, he had also acquired some dishonestly, selling wine to pilgrims with false measures, and sometimes watered down. While he was at sea, a monkey was on the same ship. Seeing that man occasionally open and shut the purse in which he kept his money, and watching him count it, the monkey lay in wait for the man, snatched his purse, and climbed up the mast. Opening the purse, it started to put some of the coins to its nose, not in, to its nose. In loathing of some of them, as if they stank, it threw them into the sea. The other coins it left in the purse. After it had been doing this for quite some time, sailors climbed up after it and brought it down along with the purse. I want to imagine like the sailors just standing there watching this monkey being a shit and just being like, do you want to go up after it? Nah, this is great. <laughs> I like the idea that they didn't notice for some time, and they're like, what's that plinking noise? And I just, like, this money raining down. And I, like, I want to imagine that they're just wishing they had, like, butterfly nets on really long sticks. <laughs> or, or, you know, maybe it took a while for the guy to actually, you know, find somebody to go up the mines. He's like, the monkey's throwing my money overboard. And he's like, what? Is that, <laughs> a, is that a euphemism for something? How long would it take you to admit that you'd been burgled by a monkey? Probably It does take a while, and monkeys legitimately do steal valuable things to get food off people in, to, in like, yeah, well, this, this monkey was putting money either back in the purse or throwing it into the sea. And a sailor brought the purse back down. When the man opened Imagine the purse... Imagine that altercation, though, because you'd be at a dis severe disadvantage <laughs> to the monkey. Like, imagine being the poor Yeah, like, the sailor is the unsung like, hero of this story. Okay. Like, how do, you, how do you do that? How do you steal a purse from a monkey at the top you, of a mast? You offer them a banana in, in exchange. <laughs> Can you imagine them actually having bananas on, like, a medieval pilgrim ship? <laughs> Specifically for trades with the monkey. Like, you can't eat those. Those are monkey Here's a banana. very old black banana. Would you like it instead of the coins? Everything changed when the monkey nation attacked. <laughs> when the man opened the purse, he knew for a certainty that the monkey had left in it not one of the coins he had received from the pilgrims he had cheated when selling them wine. It had cast them into the deep as if they stank. Only those coins were left that had come to him honestly by inheritance. 
he could tell because the coins carried by pilgrims differ from those issued by the city. I was about to ask, how could you yeah. tell? Yeah, different currencies. Everyone on that ship marvelled at that, believing the occurrence to be a miracle, in that St. James, the saint of Santiago de Compostela, where they were going, didn't want dishonestly acquired money to be spent in his service. But heretics, in their envy and strife against the Catholic Church, preach all sorts of things, that they may have pangs of conscience because their teachings are so perverse. Okay, cool. Monkey throwing money overboard. If you cheat people, God will send a monkey. <laughs> like in every scenario, like if you murder someone, will he send like a little monkey detective? God's vengeance monkey. Oh god, now I really want to find the story called Demon Cockroaches. Hang on, I'm actually going to skip direct to that story. I beg- now I'm imagining a monkey detective. It's like Detective Pikachu, but like a monkey. There's one of those in my D&D campaign. Of course there is. Yes. She was recently cured of lycanthropy. Also, I... What? (laughs) See, you're saying... So not monkey all the time, monkey some of the time. No, she's been cured of her lycanthropy, so now she is a very fluffy yellow monkey all the time. Instead of sometimes a wolf? She was a monkey who had lycanthropy. Sometimes she would turn into a a monkey-wolf thing. Oh, I thought you were saying that she also must sometimes turn into a human? No. Like, imagine if you were like, ah, oh, I'm a monkey to eight a week, uh, three days out of the month. Surely that would be anthropathy? I was yes. just thinking that, yeah. Um, anyway, I'm skipping direct <laughs> to the demon cockroaches story. Because you made me think of it. And this one is from Il Trecento Novelle, a 14th century Italian one, inspired by the Decameron. God. When a man living in this world has many odd, amusing, and varied adventures, the entire course of his life can't be recounted in a single short story. Therefore, I'll now tell yet another one about a character I've introduced in a number of the preceding stories, the painter Bonamico, who tried to sleep at night, unlike Jansega in previous story, who attempted just the opposite. Um, long-time listeners will be interested to hear that Bonamico is actually the real name of Buffal Marco. For some reason, in Il Trecento Novelle, he is not a fool. And he's not constantly being tricked by his friends, which I've got to say I like a lot better. When Bonamico was young, he was the pupil of a painter named Tafo and spent nights in his house, in a bedroom separated from Tafo's by a petition. Partition. <laughs> not petition that you sign. <laughs> We've gotten all the townspeople to come together and they really want you to erect a wall between these rooms. Yes, we want you to have an erection between you. Fuck off, Mandy. Same. (laughs) Blame the scouts, not me. Master painters are accustomed to wake up their pupils at the hour of matins to start painting, especially in winter when nights are long. Is matins midnight? It's in the middle of the night sometimes. I think matins is the one at 3am or something. Yeah, midnight, 3am. In the middle of the night. 3am was the witching hour. Yeah, but it can be hour, it can be matins as, as well. Okay. <laughs> it's the witching hour. Get up. Let's let's go a praying. Well, I have I to say against witches. I will remind you that this story is called the Demon Cockroaches. <laughs> <laughs> For half a winter now, Tafo, following this custom, had continually awakened Bonamico while it was still dark. Bonamico was getting fed up with the situation since he much preferred sleeping to painting, and he pondered over ways and means to break that pattern. Reflecting that Tafo was getting on in years, he hit on a clever trick to stop him from awakening him at night so that he could get some sleep. And so one day he went down to an ill-swept cellar where he caught about 30 cockroaches. How? 
There's a lot of cockroaches. It's like, did he set up a trap? Did he just like, was he just real, real quick hands? He's somehow get getting mix. hold of some small thin pins and some wax candle stumps. He placed everything in a little box in his room. Waiting one night for Tafo to get up to call him and hearing him sit up in bed, he took the cockroaches one by one, planted the pins in their backs, these must be very short pins, and stuck the lighted candle stumps onto the pins. So each of these cockroaches now has a teeny tiny candle on its back. Kind of mean to the cockroaches. Weird kink, but okay. How? These must be very big cockroaches. Then he set them through the opening under his door into Tafo's bedroom. Must be a really high opening. To also fit the candles? Yeah. I'm wondering if these are stumps of, like, you know, dipped tapers. Like, they're actually really tiny. Oh, Real oh. thin boys. Matins is at two. Ah, thank you. Uh, when Tarfo thank you, Google. When Tarfo spotted the first one and then the others with their lights all over his room, he began to shake like a twig. Covering his face with his blanket, his sight was bad and limited to one eye. He commended himself to God reciting prayers to the Blessed Virgin and penitential psalms. He remained in fear that way until daybreak, really believing they were demons from hell. Then, getting out of bed as if possessed, he called Bonamico, saying, Did you see what I saw last night? Bonamico replied, I didn't see a thing because I was sleeping and had my eyes closed. As opposed to sleeping and having your eyes open. I mean, Gandalf does it. I mean, if there um, were flaming cockroaches in your bedroom, you'd be pretty worried. Yeah, I'm surprised that you didn't wake me up as usual. Tafo said, Wake you up? I saw a hundred demons in this room and got the worst scare I ever had. This past night, not only did I not think about painting, I didn't know whether I was coming or going. And so, my friend Bonamico, I beg you, for the love of God, find some other house we can rent. Let us get out of this one, because I don't intend to stay here. I'm an old man, and if I have three nights like the one I've just spent, I won't live till the fourth one. Does he kill this poor old man so we can have a sleep? No. <laughs> Hearing his master speak that way, Bonamico said, I find it odd that sleeping in the very next room to you, as I do, I didn't hear or become aware of any of this. It often happens that someone thinks he sees something during the night that doesn't really exist. And many times people have dreams that seem to be true, but are merely dreams. So don't hasten to change houses so impetuously. Try this one another night or two. I'm right beside you, and I'll be alert, so that if anything happens, I'll take care of everything. Bonamico reassured Tafo at such great lengths that he reluctantly agreed to remain. When he got home in the evening, he kept staring at the floor like a man possessed. After going to bed... Aww. There is a book just out of reach. This is very unsatisfactory. That's better. Oh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's apparently delicious. After going to bed, Tafo was on guard all night without sleeping, raising his head and laying it down again. It never entered his mind to wake up Bonamico so that he could start painting. Rather, he was ready to call upon his assistance in case he saw what he had seen the night before. Bonamico was aware of the whole situation, still afraid of being awakened too early. Sorry, there's a lake behind us, and there is a person, like, standing on a canoe. It's a stand-up paddleboard. And a stand-up paddleboard with a dog on the paddleboard also. Just... Passing by. It's adorable. It's great. It's lovely. It's such a chill looking dog. It's a very chill looking dog, which is impressive because it also looks like it's a sheepdog type dog, yeah. and those are not generally chill by definition. So Bonamico decides, oh, well, you know, let's just make sure that Tafo's still scared. So he sent like three cockroaches with their customary light fixtures through the opening. 
And the moment Tarfo saw them, you know, freaks out, wraps himself up in the blanket, and he does, didn't have the courage to call Bonamico, who went back to sleep. And, you know, in the morning, he's, Tarfo says, you know, I heard every hour of bell rung last night. I didn't shut an eye. All those devils, there weren't as many as the night before, but you won't persuade me again to stay in this house. Let's get out of here. I'm never setting foot in this house again. And no matter how many times Bonamico urged him to stay at least one more night, only one argument did the trick. He made him believe that if an ordained priest were to sleep in Tafo's house, the demons would no longer have the power to remain there. And so Tafo went to his parish priest and begged him to have supper and spend the night with him. He told him why, and while they were discussing the matter, they met Bonamico, and all three went to the house. So they get a priest over, and the priest sees that Tafo is afraid, and is like, look, don't be afraid, I know so many prayers that even if the house are full of demons, I'd drive them all out. And this is when Bonamico pipes up and is like, well, I've always heard that demons were God's worst enemies, and if that's so, they must be great enemies of painters, because they paid God and all his saints, and through their work they strengthened the Christian faith, which would seriously flag if our paintings didn't make people devout. And this being the case, when the demons, whose power is greater at night, hear us getting up at that time to paint things, they would come in great force to hinder us from doing it. I don't guarantee the truth of this, but it seems quite evident to me that this would be so. The priest goes, that sounds like a great argument, makes perfect sense to me. Let's see if we just stop painting at night. What'll happen with these demons? <laughs> and the priest slept there a few nights. There were no cockroach demons. They believed Bonamico's theory, and for two weeks, Tafo slept soundly and didn't awaken Bonamico. And then after this reassurance, Tafo, who needed money, started calling out to Bonamico at night to finish working on something. So Bonamico caught more cockroaches and set them loose at, in Tafo's room at the usual hour. When Tafo saw them, he ducked under the blanket and said sadly to himself, All right, Tafo, work at night now that the priest isn't here. Mother of God, help me! And a whole lot more. And in the morning, he told Bonamico everything that had happened, and Bonamico said, Well, look, it seems that what I said when the priest was here was true. And they go to talk to the priest, and the priest is like, Look, this is perfect evidence. And so, you know, people deemed that Bonamico, a man of saintly life, had been vouchsafed either through divine inspiration or through revelation, the reason why those demons had appeared in Tafo's house. And from that time, his reputation soared. He left Tafo's house and a few days later set up shop on his own, determined to be a free man and sleep as long as he liked. And for the years that Tafo had yet to live, he found a different house where he vowed that he would never paint at night so he wouldn't fall into the hands of those demon cockroaches. <laughs> and so it often happens that when a master looks out for his own profit and cares nothing about his pupil's comfort, the pupil racks his brains to keep within the schedule that nature requires. When all other means fail, he devises a novel way to trick his master, as Bonamico did, enabling himself to sleep as much as he wanted for some time thereafter. You know, I, I know how they have so many tiny candle stubs this is before any artificial light. How many candles are they going through to be able to paint in the middle of the night? Maybe he'd have yeah. like more money if he wasn't spending all this money on like candles. candles. Yeah, this is true. Candles are expensive. Do you think they do that because of the double like sleep thing? I mean, they might. So there's this thing about double sleep that if you don't have artificial lighting, you tend to naturally sleep for the first part of the night, wake up in the middle of the night, chill for a bit and then sleep again. 
there was this idea that it was you know in the middle ages people would use that time to like stoke the fire and and often that's when um when you'd get rowdy um, <laughs> like that's a fairly natural sleep pattern it's also why matins is when it is because that's yeah. the well you're going to be up at this sort of time anyway you might as well pray mm. but this this painting master is apparently going well you're up anyway you might as well never go back to bed yeah Mm. get some work done i wonder if that means that his paintings are specifically colored to be viewed by candlelight i wonder if it means that his paintings are specifically crap because they're all sleep deprived (laughs) (laughs) also a possibility (laughs) yep well we only don't have second sleep and stuff anymore because of industrialization yeah so artificial life and artificial timeline like um like the experiment to figure it out was basically they put a bunch of people in separated them so that they didn't have artificial light for a period of a few weeks and watched what happened to their sleeping patterns and like at first they just slept lots because they were very sleep deprived as we all are <laughs> but they settled into this sort of two sleep thing i'd like to try it out one day yeah same mm. Honestly, I mean, like, festival has that vibe. Anyway, but that's because I have a one-year-old. Well, I often find that if I'm at an SCA event, and I have... If it's, say, uh, an event which has both cabins and tents, I tend to sleep better when I'm in a tent than I do when I'm in a cabin. So whenever we go to Adelaide for Prob or Foss or, or any of that kind of stuff, we, we always sleep in the cabin because it's not worth bringing tents and stuff over to Adelaide. I always sleep rubbish, but in the same time frame... In a tent, I'm fine. Uh, and Ooh. the thing is, like, at at, um, at festival, you know, you'll be in a tent and you often, like, have that middle-of-the-night toilet run. Ooh. You'll wake up in the middle of the night and you'll be like, okay, time to go to the bathroom. And you just sort of wander around for a little bit where it's freezing, but, you know. It's got, it's got that really nice middle-of-the-night, like, crispiness that you mm. don't often get to experience. And and very quiet and calm. And because, mm. and because that's always at Easter... <laughs> Um, you got a full moon, mm. so you can see everything. You don't need a lantern, you can just walk around. I think the yeah. other difference between yeah. cabin and tent is that in a tent you have complete control over your environment, whereas with a cabin they're kind of, here is your brick box and the bed we have provided. You get to decorate this in no way, shape. That's why I like being up the top, because you can kind of like put your bags and stuff on and arrange it in your way. But at the, I think it was La Prague? Someone, like, a kit came in really late, and the only bed available, the mattress, for some inexplicable reason, was just full of ants. Oh, God! Full of ants, and he was like, I don't know how to handle this. And we kind of, like, I kind of not know what we did, but he did end up sleeping on it. But we did something to, like, neutralize the ants in some way. That's horrifying. It's pretty yeah. dreadful. Stories! Stories. All right, one more story, I think. Hmm. Just, like, pull a few out. I've, got, I've pulled out three options, which are 28, 58, and 34. So let's see which one of these looks most fun. My request is oh my for God. the most fucked up, please. Okay. Okay. I've, at some point I've got to do God in the Mistral. Um, um, so 34 is not nearly as bad as its title suggests. It's called Too Much Olive Oil. <laughs> Better than too little. 20... Depending on context. Uh... For most contexts. <laughs> Why did I... 28 is the hermit served by a devil. And 58... Eh. Sorry, I dropped a thing. And so 
made a silly noise. You would know that. <laughs> I dropped. The wind is catching them. My dog once ate an entire bottle of olive oil. That's definitely too much olive oil. <laughs> that was the most, like, weirdly smooth upchuck I've ever seen. Oh. Lubricated dog. Didn't she also eat, like, a ton of fish oil tablets one time? Uh, vitamin D. We had to put, off, like, eye drops in her to make her vomit. Poor girl. Oh. Dogs. Okay. They're all... They're all short and weird. I'm trying to find one that is that is like sufficiently fucked up for you guys. Thank you. That's all we ask. <laughs> That's all you ask. Yeah. I'm a simple man with simple pleasures. Yeah, like just from really <laughs> fucked up stories. I mean, the demon cockroaches was impressive. That dog's legacy are not doing that one. <laughs> hmm. The devil in the latrine. Um, I've I've had festivals like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, hopefully not. Um, we tend to have lemony fresh, so yeah, it helps. Black ones. Yeah, well, we had lemony fresh the first time in the KFC black burgers. So you went to the bathroom and your poop was black and smelt like lemons. <laughs> that was concerning. Do you want to explain what lemony fresh is? Oh, uh, it's alcoholic lemonade that then brews. That just makes your pee smell really strongly of lemons. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I gave some to Inner God once in the morning announcements the next morning. I had a special me- uh, message for our campsite. Which I was... remember I was required to give that announcement. I was quietly requested to make a mention of the lemony freshness. Um, <laughs> the Inner God, Inner God's port loose. Yeah. Uh, oh, I miss festival. <laughs> Um, okay, this one's a short one, and I'm purely mentioning it because of the heralds in the audience. <clears throat> we'll do one after this. <laughs> Everyone must have heard who Giotto was, and how he surpassed all others as a painter. An artisan of low degree, who needed to have a shield painted with his coat of arms, perhaps because he was to be made governor of a castle, went at once to Giotto's workshop with a man behind him carrying the shield. On arriving and finding Giotto in, he said, God save you, master. I'd like you to paint my arms on this shield. Giotto, observing the man and his banner, merely said, When do you want it? When the man told him, Giotto said, Leave it to me. The man left, and Giotto remained where he was, thinking to himself, What's the meaning of this? Did someone tell me this fellow was a practical joke? However that may be, I've never been commissioned to paint a shield. Besides, the man who brought it is a little nobody, and yet wants me to paint his arms as though he belonged to the French royal family. I definitely have to create an unheard-of coat of arms for him. With these thoughts in mind, he took his stand in front of that shield, drew the outlines of the coat of arms he deemed suitable, and told the pupil to paint it in. And the pupil did so. The painting depicted a helmet, a gorget, a pair of brass arts. What a hell of brass arts. I don't want to know. A pair of iron gauntlets, a pair of breastplates, a pair of cleases and jams, a sword, a dagger, and a lance. A pair <laughs> of breastplates. Yeah, one for the front and one for the back. Okay, that would make more sense. That's called a breast and back plate. It is not a pair of breastplates. Breastplate is specifically the front. Uh, Maybe uh, it's one of the two-piece two ones. Anyway, basically, mm. cold suit of armour. An important a thing. A is a bra- band or badge worn around the upper arm. Or a piece of armor so covering the arm. Might be shoulder pieces. Okay. Or like a piece there. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, so when the fine fellow who barely knew his own name came back, he stepped forward and said, "Master, is my shield painted?" Giotto said, "Yes, it is. Go get it." 
The shield was brought, and that would-be gentleman started to look at it. And then he said to Giotto, What's this mess that you've painted? Giotto replied, You'll really think it's a mess when you pay me for it. The man said, I wouldn't give you four cents for it. And Giotto replied, Well, what did you tell me to paint? My arms. Well, Giotto rejoined, Aren't your arms and arm are all here? Is anything missing? Oh my god, I love how they, he painted the same dumb joke I made. <laughs> <laughs> so the joke being here that arms can refer to weapons that you carry. That's delightfully awful. Um, I might have to steal that one. Yeah. And the man said, oh, okay, yeah. And Giotto said, no, this is actually terrible. And my god give you times just as bad because you must be an idiot. I bet that if someone asked you who you were, you'd have a terrible time answering. You come here and say, paint my arms. If you were one of the financiers of the Barty family, that would have been all right. What arms do you bear? What family are you from? Who were your ancestors? You ought to be ashamed. Make a name for yourself in the world before you come and talk about arms as if you were the knight Namo of Bavaria, right out of a novel of chivalry. I painted all sorts of arms and armor on your shield. If there are other kinds, tell me and I'll paint them. The man said, You're insulting me after ruining a shield for me. He left, went to the magistrate in charge of contracts, and laid a complaint against Giotto. Giotto appeared before the magistrate with a complaint of his own, demanding two florins for the painting. Meanwhile, the man was seeking damages from Giotto. When the officials had heard their statements, Giotto having made a much better one, their judgment was that the man should take his shield, painted as it was, and should give six lire to Giotto, who had the law on his side. And so the man had to accept the shield and pay for it in order to be let off. Failing to take due measure of himself, he had others take his true measure. Because every nobody wants to acquire a coat of arms and establish a lineage, including some people whose fathers came from foundling homes. And this is why you register your heraldry before you get it painted on anything, because otherwise you might get trolls or break the Geneva Convention. Mm-hmm. It's actually quite easy to break the Geneva Convention. <laughs> I love that as a statement, because it's probably in relation to the cross. Yeah, absolutely. But, out of context, war crimes. Yes. Um, it's specifically, the, the Red Cross is, is, is specifically granted to the Red Cross. Um, also, the Red Chevron, or Diamond Crystal. crystal. Yeah. The Red Crystal? Yep. It's the non-religious or not Christian or Islamic equivalent. Oh. The reason why Mandy's device is that way round. <laughs> Sorry. Looking through to find some... A, a particularly good story. It's an experiment in alchemy. Partridges for supper. We already read that one. The household snake. That's a classic, but no. God's mysterious ways. Another one of those where an a, a representative of God does a whole lot of fucked up things, and then at the end is like, well, no, it all makes sense because of reasons you had no possible way to know of. Oh, this one is fucked up. Excellent. The Weeping Dog. In a certain empress's realm, there was a knight whose wife was noble, chaste, and honorable. And it came about that the knight had to go off on a journey. But first he told his wife, I'm not leaving anyone to watch you because I'm sure there's no need to. When his escort was ready, he set out. His wife remained home, living chastely. And of course we know this state of affairs can't last because for some reason stories like this are just like, what? Women not having affairs? That's breaking social contracts. Women are just uncontrollable vaginas. Just can't control them. What do you you want? It's very weird. Anyway, 
So this dude falls in love with her and he becomes ill because he's so in love with her and so depressed that she won't, you know, she won't even see him. And one day on his way to church, he met an old woman who was reputed to live a saintly life. And she saw how sad he was and asked why. And he said, well, what good will it do me to tell you? She said, my dear boy, so long as a sick man conceals his illness from his doctor, he can't be cured. But So tell me the reason you're so sad. With God's help, I'll cure you. And the young man tells her all about his love for the lady. And the old woman says, oh, I'll cure you from this. <laughs> Kills him. The old woman owned uh, a little dog, which she forced to remain hungry for two days. Puppy. Yeah, so this story definitely gets a warning for um, a degree of animal cruelty. I will men- uh, like it's not that bad, but it the- still happens. It still happens. On the third day, she fed the hungry dog bread baked with mustard. After the dog tasted it, her eyes teared all day long from the sharpness. Aww. <laughs> then the old woman, taking along her weeping dog, went to the home of the lady, and was welcomed with honor because of her reputation for sanctity. And the lady saw the little dog weeping and asked why. And the old woman said, Oh, my dear friend, don't ask why she's weeping. She's bearing such great grief that it's scarcely possible to describe it to you. The lady kept insisting on hearing the reason. And the old woman said, This dog was my daughter, a very chaste and honourable girl. A young man once fell wildly in love with her, but she was so chaste she completely rejected his love. As a result, the young man grieved so much that he died of his grief. And for her fault, God changed my daughter into this little dog you see here. Wait, how is, how is she in any way culpable? Every time my daughter recalls what a beautiful girl she was and finds herself now a dog, she weeps inconsolably and makes everyone else weep because of her great sorrow. Hearing this, the lady thought to herself, Woe is me! That young man loves me in just the same way and he's sick for love of me. She told the whole story to the old woman. Hearing it, the old woman said, Dearest lady, don't reject the young man's love in case you too may be changed into a dog like my daughter, which would be a terrible punishment. What is she getting out of this arrangement? <laughs> like, why would she go this hard so some so this random man can get some pussy? <laughs> and, you know, the lady says, oh, yes, yes, I'd better, I'd better sleep with him and sleeps with the guy. Um, and as usual, it's a, you know, uh, uncomfortable you know, ending to the story where it's like you definitely did not have to do that, lady. <laughs> so your options in life are put out or schnauzer. <laughs> but if you do put out, you're still bad because you're married. Or it makes yeah. you unchaste. <laughs> so no matter what you do, no matter what she does, this woman is gonna is seen poorly. Yes, but being mm. an adulterer is normal. Being a you know, I think that there's almost this thing where it's like women who don't cheat are almost like, are you, are you too good for this whole system? Or it's like unnatural because they're meant to be... It's a weird dichotomy because they're both meant to be completely sexless, but also intrinsically lustful. You're not meant to be into it, you're just meant to be available. Oh, they're totally meant to be into it. <laughs> like, I, I, I will... There's... Yes, they are. Oh, actually, yes, there is, a, there is another story about a dog who only gets tweaked on the ear um, in the service of a more consensual affair, and I will actually read you a bit from that one. If the incident I wish to recount, this begins, had occurred in the days of the famous and eloquent Boccaccio, and had come to his ears or cognizance, I'm sure he would have added it to his volume of accounts of celebrated men who met with ill fortune. Except fuck Giovanni. Mm. <laughs> 
because I don't believe any nobleman ever suffered a more intolerable misfortune than the good lord whose story I'll tell you. May God have mercy on his soul. In his day, this, you know, anyway, there was a nobleman, and he surpassed all other men in his good relations with women, <coughs> and happened to come into company with a beautiful, charming, gracious, and shapely young woman who enjoyed, like no other woman in her day, a reputation for matchless beauty and praiseworthy and virtuous behaviour. Nor was it any disadvantage that she was also so well-liked by the queen of the country that she shared her beds on nights with when the queen wasn't sleeping with the king. Nice. <laughs> there are worse things. Yes. Now, I will note that sharing a bed with somebody in a medieval context is not definitionally a sex thing. Because beds, beds, beds and bedrooms are a much more open place and a lot more people coming... Coming and going. Okay. <laughs> that was unintentional. Yes. But they, they didn't have the, depending on the time period, they didn't have the rigid structure between rooms. Yeah. Depending on your social status. Yeah. So this is a sign of intimate friendship, but not necessarily intimate friendship. Well, I mean, you can make it gay if you want to. Oh, you can totally make it gay oh, if you I want, want to. to. We want to. Yeah, that's definitely the preference here. <laughs> now, the romance between this young woman and the gentleman had progressed so far that only the time and place were still lacking for both parties to be able to do what they desired most in the world. Eat garlic bread? On most many yes. occasions they met to decide on a place suitable to their purpose and finally the young lady who desired her sweetheart's welfare no less than the salvation of her soul hit on a good idea which she immediately communicated to him in the following terms. My most faithful friend, you know that I sleep with the Queen, and that if I don't want to ruin all my chances, there's no way for me to give up that honour and preferment, which the wealthiest woman in the kingdom would be happy and honoured to have. Though, by my faith, I want to requite your love and give you as much pleasure and affection as I give her. I mean, I would have sex with you, but the Queen? Oh, this keeps me so busy. I've got to say, this does sound very gay. <laughs> I'll prove the truth of this to you, but without giving up the woman who shows me the greatest honour in the world and can do even more to advance me. I don't think that you would want me to act otherwise, either. No, by my faith, darling, the good nobleman replied, but all the same, I beg of you that while serving your mistress you don't neglect the good that you can do for your own loyal servitor, who thinks so highly of you that he'd rather win you than gain everything else in the world. Here's what I'll do for you, my lord, she said. As you know, the queen has a greyhound she's very fond of. She lets it sleep in her room. Tonight I'll find a way to shut it out of the room without her knowledge. When everyone else is left, I'll dash into the adjacent dressing room, unlock its door, and leave it open. When you think the queen is in bed, come by very quietly, go into that room, and shut the door. There you'll find the greyhound, which knows you and will let you get near it. <laughs> Sorry, a friend of ours has just uh, left the story circle to eat some loud chips and is being stalked by various birds. <clears throat> uh, so I'll shut the greyhound out of the room and I'll unlock the dressing room when you think the queen's in bed go into the dressing room, shut the door, get the greyhound and pull its ears so it gives a loud yelp when the queen hears it she'll recognise its voice at once and I'm sure she'll ask me to get up at that very moment and let it into the bedroom when I do so I'll join you don't fail if you ever want to speak to me again Ah, the nobleman said, my dear faithful sweetheart, I thank you all I can. You can be sure I won't fail you. He took his leave and departed, etc, etc, etc. The time came, um, the, it was forced into the dressing room instead of the bedroom. The queen went to bed without noticing. The lady uh, <coughs> joined her. 
Um, and the good lady in waiting whose thoughts were fixed on hearing the yelp, the signal for amorous battle. <laughs> oh, no, that's that dead, actually dead. as written. Actually as oh, written. Oh, they're deaf or fucking. <laughs> Before very long, the nobleman prepared for action and made his way into the room where the greyhound was sleeping. Groping around with hands and feet, he finally located the dog, then picking it up by the ears, made it give two or three sharp yelps. When the queen heard it, she recognised her greyhound at once and thought it wanted to be let in. And calling to her lady-in-waiting, she said, My dear, my greyhound is crying outside. Please get up and let her in. Gladly, your majesty, said the lady-in-waiting. Though she was awaiting a battle, the day and hour for which she had herself (laughs) arranged, the only armour she put on was her shift. (laughs) Then she went to the door and opened it. If she put on her shift, that, does that mean she was naked up until this point? Possibly. Ah. Mm-hmm. Nice. <laughs> uh, at once she was met by the man who had been waiting for her. He was so happy and overcome at seeing his sweetheart's beauty and shapeliness that he lost his strength, the wits, and presence of mind, and it was totally beyond his powers to draw his dagger and try to cut open her armour with it. There was plenty of kissing, <laughs> hugging, fondling of breasts and what have you, but not a sign of the main event. <laughs> I mean, did they have to fuck at night, though? Like, if she actually wants to have sex with this guy, I mean, like, they've got to be able to find, like, a quiet hour here or there. (laughs) And so the charming young lady had to withdraw without having left with him that which could never be his if he didn't win it by force of arms. That is the most convoluted fucking sentence. I hate it. As she turned to go, he tried to hold her back with force and find words, but she was afraid to stay any longer. She shut the door in his face and returned to the queen. (laughs) who asked her if she had let her greyhound in. She said she hadn't, because she hadn't been able to find it yet, though she had looked very hard. Well, said the queen, we'll get her yet. Come back to bed. At that time, the poor lover was very unhappy, God knows, finding himself dishonoured and enfeebled in that way. In the past, he had been so confident in his powers that in less time than he had just spent with his sweetheart, he could have taken on three just like her and conquered them with honour. Finally, he took heart again and said to himself, If I'm ever so lucky as to find my lady in such a favourable situation again, she won't leave me the way she did this time. I mean, like, don't fucking find the queen, though. Like, like, I don't have that much experience with the sex, to be honest, but I understand it takes a bit of time. And, like, it can be quite noisy. So, like, if you're doing it right in the door, it's like, are you still you? What are you doing? I'm still getting the greyhound. Look, it's get the greyhound or get the nightingale. Okay, that's the Decameron reference that you guys might not catch. Specifically refers to dicks. Um, And so, inspirited and spurred by shame and desire, the gentleman picked up the greyhound by the ears again. um, And the dog yelped much louder than the first time. And at that outcry, the queen awakened her lady-in-waiting, who once again came and opened the door. But she returned to her mistress without obtaining either more or less than she had done before. And she returned for a third time, and that poor nobleman did all in his power to service her as he wished, but the devil take him if he was ever able to break a lance on that girl, who wanted nothing better and stood her ground valiantly awaiting him. When she realised he wasn't going to make holes in her basket, and that he was merely capable of holding his lance at rest, no matter how good an opening she offered him, (laughs) <laughs> she knew she had been unsuccessful in the joust and she thought all the less of her opponent I'm sorry we couldn't do a live episode with like without going into the world of horrific euphemism this is a fantastic euphemism what are you talking about breaking a lance on this girl I like the holes in her basket <laughs> no 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 wait it keeps going oh. she didn't wish or dare to remain there any longer no matter what she might accomplish <laughs> 
When she turned back to the bedroom, her lover kept her back by force, saying, Alas, darling, stay a little longer, I beg you. I can't, she said, I can't. Let me go. I've been here too long for all I've got out of it. She began to return to the bedroom with the man at her heels, trying to hold her back. Seeing this, in order to get even with him and to please the queen, she said out loud, Go away! Go away, you filthy hound! By God, you're not coming in here now, mean animal that you are! And as she said this, she shut the door behind her. The queen, hearing this, asked, Who are you talking to, dear? To that dirty dog, your majesty, which gave me so much trouble looking for it. It had squeezed under a bench in here and hidden, flat on its belly and its muzzle on the floor, so that I was unable to find it. When I did, it refused to lift itself up, no matter how I coaxed it. I'll gladly have pushed it inside, but it never wanted to lift its head, and I got so annoyed I left it outside and shut the door in its face. Burn! <laughs> you did the right thing, dear, the queen said. Come to bed. Come to bed and let's sleep. As you've heard, the nobleman was most unfortunate. Because he couldn't respond when his lady was all ready, I for one believe that, later on, when he had his weapons under control, she was the one no longer interested. Yep. Local man is bad at sex. Definitely the, the most maligned person in history. Yep. But That's that a queen. fun one. Yep. That's a good time. Alright, I think we'll leave it here. Yeah, yes, um, if we wrap here, I believe it's time for cake. Yes. Indeed. So thank you everybody for joining us. Um, and thank you everybody who is actually physically here for joining me and for laughing at my stories. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, isn't it, Papa? <laughs> thank right. you for the stories.